0: Thank you, Pam. We continue uh, our time in God's word as we turn to the prophet Micah. Now to chapter five, beginning in the first verse. Now muster your troops, O daughters of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples like a dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, which delay not for a man nor wait for the children of man. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the nations In the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among the flocks of sheep, which when it goes through treads down and tears in pieces, and there is none to deliver. Your hand shall be lifted up over your adversaries, all your enemies shall be cut off. And in that day, declares the Lord, I will cut off your horses from among you, and will destroy your chariots, and I will cut off the cities of your land and throw down all your strongholds. And I will cut off sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no more tellers of fortune. And I will cut off your carved images and all your pillars from among you. And you shall bow down no more to the work of your hands. And I will root your Ashereth images from among you and destroy your cities. And in anger and wrath, I will execute vengeance on the nations that did not obey. This is... The Word of the Lord. As we continue in Micah this morning, the pattern continues. The pattern of justice and mercy, law and gospel, warning and hope, And now as we look in particular into this chapter here in chapter five, we consider this movement the same kind of pattern from distress to deliverance. And in chapter four, we learned that deliverance was coming. But now this week in chapter five, we learn more about who that deliverer is, not just that it's coming, but who's bringing it and what's he like. Dr. Stephen Um, whose research and study of the book of Micah will hear more from in today's message, uh, says, and not unlike some of what we heard in the book of Philippians uh, either when we were studying that not, not that long ago, when we come to God in prayer and we say, God, if, if only you would fill in the blank, Dr. Room says it's often in that prayer, not God that we're putting our most of our hope in, but whatever is in that blank space, right? And in our hearts, as we come to chapter five today, we need to guard against the false prophecies that preceded this chapter. The false prophecies that said, that as long as that, that blank check has been signed for us, then, then I'll follow this one true God, but only if he fills in that blank for me. As God speaks to his people, he lets us know here uh, that he indeed wants us to move from distress, and it's not that he doesn't care about that item that is so much on our hearts to pray for, but that there's something more going on for our deliverance, more than just answering the specific prayer that I'm sure that Judah and Israel would pray, like, Lord, don't send us into exile. More than just the concerns of the moment, but a bigger picture that God has in mind of deliverance, a deliverance that will certainly impact the now, as we'll learn more about later, but also be more so impacted for our eternity. And that eternity then will turn back around on the now and bring about God's kingdom come. So, what does this mean? What does this mean for our mess? What does it mean for how God's masterpiece, masterpiece of Salvation works in the midst of the world that we live in. Well, let's take a step back again and think about masterpieces for a moment, as we have a few times throughout these weeks together. And think again about those epic films that seem to attract so many. Remember those, uh, some of which I've spoken of, the big epic good versus evil, the unlikely hero, from humble circumstances, winning the day. You know, we see it on the screen all the time from Luke Skywalker to Harry Potter to Frodo to uh, the children of Narnia displaced in the middle of World War II, or even the one scrawny Steve Rogers who would become the strong Captain, Roger, Captain America. Of all these artistic renditions of good versus evil, of uh, good, winning the day, despite now almost 100 years of literary critics saying, well, that kind of uh, uh, old kind of thinking, we're beyond that. And we want an, ant-, you know, and you'll even see it sometimes in film today, an antihero. And, and, and we need to go dark. And we even see that influence. But the thing that's interesting is, is what keeps drawing our hearts is this epic battle of good versus evil. Something about it touches us and captures us. It captured a 20th century author and a scholar, C.S. Lewis. New York pastor Timothy Keller, while preaching on Micah two, tells the story of those great literary giants, J.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis. They'd become friends. Now Lewis was A modern man, he was an atheist at the beginning of their friendship with Tolkien there in the late 1920s. They were both distinguished professors, although young at the time, uh, at Oxford University. And they both had an affinity to these kind of epic stories from tales of old, the returning king, coming, the hero coming in. And as their friendship grew between these two brilliant scholars and our authors, uh, uh, Lewis shared how much he'd been moved by these stories. And Tolkien, being a man of faith, said, well, there's a reason why you've been moved. It's because the evil spell that's overtaken so many in the stories that we read and and hear about from uh, ancient times uh, is has an undergirding of the same spell that's overtaken humanity called sin. And it will take, just like in the stories that you and I read, the return of a king, a surprising hero. Tolkien argued that you're so taken by these stories, as he would say to Lewis, because they're really a retelling in so many different ways of the gospel. A meta-narrative getting picked up in the narrative of our culture This revelation, among others, would eventually sometime later lead Lewis to the conclusion that indeed the gospel is the undergirding of all of these other stories, that indeed Christ did die and rise from the dead. It's ironic that uh, through that relationship and through those stories and then eventually through the confession of God's Word, C.S. Lewis then would become no longer an atheist, but now known to be one of the greatest apologists or, or defenders of the faith in the 20th century. And his book, Mere Christianity, which I commend to you yet still today, continues to lead many to faith in Christ. And so, what we get, and I, why I tell you those stories this morning in chapter five of Micah, is the source material the source material for the the proclamation of the gospel, the the prophecy in Micah is a messianic prophecy, a prophecy of the king to come, to return, that impacted God's people, a, a king, an unlikely king from humble circumstances. And who is this king that intervenes in human history? What are the facts that you might be asking or how do you back it up? How can we trust it like C.S. Lewis would come to? One scholar put it like this, reflecting on these prophecies. He said, practically every page of the New Testament is permeated with a conviction that Jesus of Nazareth is the long awaited Messiah whom the Psalms, the prophets and the whole scripture wrote about. And so as we move and consider what it means that God is moving his people from distress to deliverance, now through a returning king through the line of David, Micah 5 describes this king. And as Dr. Um points out, this king is described as a king who comes as a sympathetic king, caring for his people, who comes unexpectedly, and yet in majesty and power. And that's the kind of deliverance that this king will bring. And something important happens in chapter five as we hear and we see it in the Hebrew text in particular. There's a word halya that particularly in verse ten gets translated on that day or on the and that word gets used well it gets used throughout the Old Testament but in particular in Micah in a special way particularly in the beginning of chapter 4 and yet that word changes form as it gets to verse 10 Hebrew scholars tell us that that change provides a significant piece of information for us as it goes from the definite form to the indefinite form from dealing with the the specific to the indefinite or as one scholar put it, the unfolding. What happens in chapter five is that this word on that day is telling us it's not that God is just caring about his people then, but he is unfolding a future for his people that is is now and is about to come. And so as scholars uh, talk about that unfolding, they recognize that this is not, as one put it, a, a, something about just the physical realities of the exile, but a spiritual renewal that is to be the source of the remnant, those who returns power. And isn't it comforting, he writes, to know that it's the world will eventually be conquered, not by a corrosive uh, or corruption or by some army, but, but by the gospel. This unfolding of the gospel is what is being revealed to us in chapter five. And with that unfolding, we discover the promises being revealed. I wanna pause here for a moment and come back to the reality that it's not that God doesn't just care about the definite, he does. It's not that God doesn't care about that, that, blank in our prayer, that thing that we're hoping he will answer? He does, he loves us so much, he invites us to pray about it, but he loves us so much uh, that he doesn't wanna just leave us where he's at. It's not that God doesn't care about the symptoms of a disease. Like a good doctor who treats the symptoms, if that doctor, however, ignores the disease that's causing those symptoms, he doesn't really ever deal with it. And so what God is doing in Micah isn't just dealing with the symptoms, he's dealing with the disease that will eventually, therefore, deal with the symptoms. And so God's unexpected unfolding now comes to a place as it's proclaimed now, as we hear in an unlikely spot in Bethlehem. Remember that uh, return of the king from humble circumstances? Here we get this small town in Bethlehem as the prophecy we know now as we sing about it on Christmas was fulfilled fully in Christ. A a, a place, an unlikely place, so unlikely that Bethlehem when Joshua was listing the, the, the towns in Judah didn't include Bethlehem so unlikely that, that he had to make a point to say it's Bethlehem of Ephrathah, that, that clan there, so as to not be confused with Bethlehem of uh, Zebulon, I believe it is. Don't get, get these small towns confused. <laughs> I'm talking about this one. An unlikely place for the king to return from. The prophecy doesn't just give us confidence in its truth because it was fulfilled in Christ. It tells us about the kind of deliverer we have in our relationship with him because it's not about the prestige of the people of Bethlehem that will bring about this conquering hero. It's about the power of God. And so no way can the power of deliverance come from human form No earthly work, it comes from a deliverer who will now learn as he continues to be described here in Micah 5, not just as a powerful lion, but also this king as a shepherd king. As we heard uh, more of, or a little bit of in chapter 4, it now becomes uh, clear in chapter 5, this shepherd king who lives with his sheep who guides his sheep, who protects his sheep, leads them to still waters, and brings about peace. So the question for us is, as we come to this today, are we distressed? Do we feel like we've been delivered or need a deliverance? Are we still waiting? And how do we get to that day, that haya, on that day, that... Unfolding day? And the answer that Micah 5 provides is to wait for and to follow the king. The king who is from ancient days. This phrase, ancient days, the word there in Hebrews, only used a very few times in the scriptures. And it always reflects one who's been there since the beginning. And so this shepherd king is the one who's been there since creation. This is our ancient king. This is the returning king, the king of kings, Jesus. And so how do we follow that king? I want to invite us as we seek God for a movement from that distress to deliverance to do three things today, to to dwell with the shepherd, to depend on the shepherd, And yes, then do whatever the shepherd commands. Let's begin with dwell. Remember last week we talked about when the king comes to rule, when God comes on the mountains, he dwells and rules there. Now that the king has come, he dwells and rules. And so he is with us, as we'll hear in both Old and New Testament, God through the Messiah is God with us. And so we come Therefore, to be in the presence of God when we come to his word together. I invite you regularly to dwell in his word as you seek him and ask questions of the word. Not just for information, although that's great, but I'm not preaching from Micah 5 just to give us information about this minor prophet. I'm inviting the Holy Spirit in my heart and ours to be impacted by what God is doing through the prophet. And so I invite you to spend time dwelling in the word. Whether it's one verse you read every morning or 10 chapters, God will not fail you as you come to his word to dwell in it. And as we dwell in it and in his presence, that eternal work that he's done will begin to transform the day that's unfolding to the day that's now. And so we can depend, that's the next thing, depend on our shepherd. We can depend on him in prayer, we can depend on him uh, even in the midst of a, a pandemic, even in the midst of whatever need or hardship you might be facing. Depend on him just as those exiled, those exiled members of Israel and Judah would to therefore uh, continue to depend on this good God uh, who would one day make them a remnant, who now in Christ, through Christ, makes us his remnant. And so we continue to proclaim and depend on him. The the scriptures will go on here in Micah 5, and we don't have time to go through it verse by verse right now. I have more notes on this chapter than any other chapter so far, but don't worry, most of them have hit the cutting room floor for us today. So if you want to come back with me on Thursday online, and I'll go through it verse by verse, but now I just say this. The, The scripture will go on to show us how our strongholds our armies, uh, or whatever it may be that we use as our stronghold for today in life won't be the answer to our prayer. The answer will be what the Messiah is coming and doing with his remnant. So we can depend on that promise as we see fulfilled prophecy in it, but more than that, we can depend on it because of his faithfulness to his people. That leads us to the third invitation to do, to do whatever this king commands. And as we do whatever this king commands, we remember that, you know, when the king returns, we follow him. It's not about always just agreeing. It's about obeying. God invites us to obey this king, and as we obey, then guess what happens when we do what he calls us to do? His kingdom comes into this world through you and I. And the world is transformed because of God's work, his Holy Spirit moving throughout the land and moving through you and I. I see myself as a pastor as kind of not as so much a shepherd as one of the dogs, you know, the sheepdog running alongside with the shepherd, doing what the shepherd commands, uh, uh, lapping up all the love that he has to offer and just helping guide. And guess what? God is inviting you to do the same in your sphere of influence, to be that sheepdog. And so we do what the good shepherd, what the king, the shepherd king commands. And so when we dwell in his word, when we depend on the shepherd and when we do what he commands, we remember this prophecy and remember this unfolding that has been unfolded onto the cross. And when we do that, as one scholar put it, who could have dreamed that a remnant from Jerusalem would come after having been besieged by an international army? Who could have dreamed That from the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross, a church could spring up like a mighty army, but different than anything the world had ever imagined. Who could have dreamed the church could withstand empires like the Roman Empire and yet continue to flourish? Who could have dreamed that the church would become a fragrance of knowledge for Christ everywhere from such humble beginnings like Bethlehem? Who could do that? Our God can. Who like our God? Who can in the midst of the mess of this world, even in the midst of all the brokenness that we see and experience, bring about his justice and mercy? Because those birth pangs have been answered. The king has finally been born. Distress moves to deliverance by the lineage of David. And yes, not all until he comes again will uh, that distress fully be answered, but that deliverance, that disease is being dealt with by this good shepherd, this good physician who will not leave us in our mess. His masterpiece is unfolding before us. So let us dwell with our shepherd king. Let us depend on our shepherd king and let us do what the shepherd king commands. And this masterpiece that God is orchestrating, will deal with the mess we face today and forevermore because that is what our king has done. Amen. Come Lord Jesus.